turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Job. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 27. Job 19, chapter 19, 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. You can hear some desperation in Job's voice. Uh, we'll, we'll make that clear. Uh, but I, I just want you to see whom I shall see for myself, my eyes shall behold, and not another. Job is just looking forward to this. I want to talk to you about my dad for just a minute. Some of you have heard this before. But um, my dad was a good guy. Uh, he was a loving husband. I, I mean, he modeled unconditional love for my mother in, in a way that I didn't appreciate while he was still alive. Uh, he's a man who walked in integrity. Um, he had every opportunity to, to walk a different path in life, and he cho- chose to be an honest man. And uh, he, he taught me a work ethic. Uh, he taught me how to love my wife. Uh, he just taught me so many things, and, and I had a close relationship with him. And early November of 1989, my mom had been talking to me. He said, I don't think Dad's doing well. I think something's wrong. We're not sure what, but he's, he's having some problems. And, and uh, finally, she said, will you go see the doctor with him? So I drove to Youngstown on November the 11th. Uh, we went and visited the doctor. The doctor did a few tests, called us the next day, and asked us to come in. So I figured something was up. And we sat in front of the doctor, and he looked at my dad, and he said, John, I'm named after him. He said, you've got pancreatic cancer. And Dad said, well, how bad is it? And he said, it's, it's bad. Dad said, how long do I have? He said, well, if we, if we treat you um, six, maybe eight months or so. And Dad said, if not, he goes, we're talking weeks. And Dad had watched his family wither away uh, through uh, horrific illnesses. Uh, he looked at me, looked at the doctor, he said, I'm not going to take the treatment. So we drove home, and um, there was a series of visits back to Youngstown. Kelly went a number of times. We went a couple times ourselves, but uh, Dad deteriorated very quickly. Uh, And late in January, uh, he was admitted to the hospital. They began managing the pain. Um, by By the time we got to early February, Dad was on massive doses of uh, morphine. And there were times when he just wasn't lucid. We'd talk to him. He wouldn't know we were there and that sort of thing. And uh, so I'd get a chance to talk to him on the phone every now and then. And, that's, uh, and a, uh, uh, on February the 6th, the doctor called me. I was working at a car dealership over here in Warrington. And he said, your dad is awake. He's lucid. If you have anything you want to say to him, now's the time to do it, John. He doesn't have long. Um, so I had a guy working in the cleanup department, and he was just dusting off a brand new Thunderbird, 
And I said, is that ready to go? And he said, yes. I said, put a tag on it, and I'm leaving. And I left for Youngstown, Ohio. It was about 5 o'clock at night. And uh, by the grace of God, uh, I drove 318 miles in three and a half hours. And I believe God just ushered me down to Pennsylvania Turnpike in Youngstown. I walked into the hospital, had to go in the back door because it was closed. I walked up to my dad's room. My dad's sitting on his bed. He turns around, he looks at me, and he says, I knew you'd be here. And I sat down with him and I said, Dad, you don't have long. He said, I know. I said, we went over, you know what's coming. And I shared the gospel with my dad one more time. And he looked at me and he said, I can't. I said, Dad, you're you're the best man I know. What's holding you back? And he looked at me and he said, John, I've killed people. And I went, ah. And... You know, every now and then the Holy Spirit just kind of invades your life. And I I, I would not have dreamed this up myself, but what came out of my mouth was, you know, God knew you would kill people. God knew what you would do. The Bible tells us your days were ordained when as yet there was not one of them. And he sent his son anyway to die for your sins. And I thought, that's it. That's the moment. And he looked at me and said, I can't. And he laid down and he went to sleep. I rode home that night. My heart was heavy. Back to Youngstown, back to my mom's house. Uh, it, it was a crushing weight upon me. There's a little bit more to the story, but we'll get to that in a little bit. We have spent the entire month talking about the sacredness of life, talking about the sanctity of life, talking about what's going on around us, and and what part God plays in this. So our first sermon in the series was God Creates. And we found out that all life is precious to God. He creates all life. God creates us in the womb. And I believe that that's in the Bible for a time such as this. For a time when they say, no, 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 that's not when life is is created. It's when when the baby moves out of the womb. God creates in the womb. God is the one who catalyzes the two cells to come together to begin the process of life. So God believes all life is precious. We should believe that all life is precious as well. So in the second week, we found out that God not only creates, he sustains. He doesn't just put things in motion and then step back and watch what happens. God God sustains life and every facet of our existence is a gift from God. The air that we breathe is a gift from God. The lungs that we process the oxygen with is a gift from God. Every facet of our being is a gift from God. God not just creates life, he sustains life. And then last week we find out that God is a judge. Now, not a, popular, not a popular message with the church today. Well, Jesus died for our sins. He did. Jesus accepted the wrath of God. He did, yes. But we will all give an accounting. Well, what is that? how does that work? Well, what we found out last week is there will be a day when we stand before our Creator and give an accounting for everything that we say and everything that we do. And that day, just like every other day, revolves around where we are with Jesus Christ. If you have rejected Jesus Christ on that day, you will be condemned to the lake of fire. Eternal conscious torment. If you have 
have received Jesus Christ as Savior, if you have confessed your sins, if you have repented, turned towards his righteousness and away from your unrighteousness, then you enter into God's presence for all eternity and his blessing. Uh, so what I like to say is you are either condemned to the lake of fire or you are judged to a deeper understanding of God's grace. See, I just don't think that we... We get a grip on the magnitude of God's grace. It's easy to take for granted. But when we have to give an accounting for everything that we have thought, and when that's done and God looks upon his son, says, because of his blood, enter into my presence. I think we're going to understand full meaning of God's grace. This week we're going to talk about God redeems. God redeems. Let me give you, if, if you would walk out of here with any truth at all, let it be this one. There is no sin greater than God's redemptive healing plan. There is no sin greater than God's redemptive healing forgiveness. There is no sin greater than God's redemptive healing power. Let that just sink in for a minute. Let it just sink in. I'm going to show you how this works and we're going to, we're going to do it by looking at three of God's promises, all of which will give the guarantee that that truth that I've just shared with you is valid in your life. And, and we're going to see that God is a redeemer. Even when even when the situation is hopeless, even when we've been immersed in darkness for a long time, even when we think that we are beyond hope and everything is falling apart around us and we believe we are beyond repair, God redeems. And that, that comes to the surface in the book of Job. So the, 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 there's a lot that's going on in Job, but if, if you take a look at the first two chapters, uh, there's something going on in heaven and Satan shows up, and God says, where have you been? He said, well, I've been messing around down in New York. So, ah. and, and God does this incredible thing. He says, have you considered my servant Job? There are none like him. There are none. He is blameless and righteous. He points Job out to Satan. And I go, whoa, I'm not sure I'm feeling a lot of love on that one, okay? But God points Job out to Satan, and then everything falls apart for Job. He loses all of his livestock. He loses all of, his, uh, all of everything that he's accumulated. He loses his family. Everything is just an absolute mess. He is devastated. And the worst part about it is his, his wife doesn't understand. She goes to him and says, could, could you just curse God and get this over with? I don't think she's mad at Job. I think what she's saying is, I can't stand to see the pain that you're going through. Curse God and get it over with. Let him just take you. And his friends show up. And he's got some fantastic friends. He's got some amazing friends. They sit with him in ashes for seven days. I don't know if I could do that for you guys. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, that, I'd love the opportunity, but I could see myself in a half an hour going, how long is this going to take? 
They sit with him, and, and they're, they're not even there to talk to him. They're silent for seven days, just sharing his pain, sharing his grief. The wife doesn't get it. The friends don't get it. Everything is lost. It seems to Job that God just isn't listening. And maybe it feels to Job like God has abandoned him. I mean, we'll see that that's exactly what Job thinks if you, as you go through the book. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you've been crying out to God and he's not listening? Have you ever felt like everything has become such a mess that God must, he must be distracted somewhere? He doesn't, he's not watching over me? We can relate to that. We've got points in our lives that we feel that way. And the reality of the situation is even worse. God hasn't abandoned Job. As a matter of fact, he has allowed this to occur. Satan, Satan is, is under God's authority. And so in, in chapter 18, Bildad, one of his friends, finally lets loose with it and, and just cuts Job to the quick. And he says, you know, Job... Only the wicked people are punished by God. Now, to put that in context, we need to understand that, at, in particular in that culture, if you're going through a hard time, everybody believes God is punishing you. So when Bildad says only the wicked are being punished, he's saying, well, only the wicked are being punished, Job. Let's connect the dots here. You're being punished. You must be evil. And at that point, Job totally uncorks. He just goes over the top and begins, uh, begins lashing out at his friends. And, and it, it, it's not totally unwarranted. He's frustrated. Job knows he hasn't done anything wrong. Doesn't understand why he's going through all this stuff. Job knows he's done nothing wrong, but he also knows one thing. And that pops up in the latter half of 19. He knows that his Redeemer lives. Above all else, he knows that God is alive. He knows that, that at some point, there will be some vindication. It's not right now. And Job looks forward for a very brief moment to that day when he will stand in front of his God. Now, Job's got to work through some other issues because his intention at this point is to demand an explanation. So it's going to take another 20 chapters for that to kind of come to the surface. Okay. But he knows that God is there. And he knows that he will be delivered into his presence. What Job doesn't know is that he's already redeemed. He's already redeemed. Watch this. Uh, Job chapter 2, starting with verse 3. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? This is what I was talking about. That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. How many of, that, of us would have that testimony from the mouth of God? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, 
All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. Satan says, oh yeah, strike him down with illness, and, and his, his colors will turn right away. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. Job's not going to die. At least not at the hands of Satan. God has preserved him. You know something, we don't always know what God is doing in our lives. We're not always aware of what's happening in the heavenlies. We're not always privy to that. But we can know God's promises. We can know what he says about himself. And you know something, we've got an advantage over Job. We can know those better than he did. We have the full counsel of scripture. Job knows a little bit about God, but about all Job can, Job can hold on to is that his God is alive. So, like Job, we can hold on to God's promises when everything seems to be falling apart, when our creation is fraying at the edge. And all we have to do is, is look at a couple of small, short passages. You take a look at John's first letter and in, in chapter 5. He says this, and this is the testimony that God gave us life, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's our first promise. That if you have the Son, if we believe in Him, if we confess Him as Lord and Savior, then we will have eternal life. Promise number one. Turn to John's Gospel in chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus says it twice. That if you have eternal life, nothing can take it away. No one. Nothing. If you have eternal life, if we believe in Christ, promise number one, we have eternal life. Promise number two, we have eternal life. It can't be taken away. Furthermore, in Colossians, Paul says this. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's our third promise. If we're in him, we have eternal life. If we have eternal life, nothing can take it from us. If nothing can take it from us, then we are redeemed. Our third promise, we're forgiven in Christ. Now, most of you know that. Here's something we might struggle with. How extensive is this forgiveness? How far does it reach? Is it complete? Can we move outside of God's forgiveness? Here's the extent of, of that promise of redemption, of that promise of forgiveness. It's in Colossians chapter 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Heaven forgive us all our trespasses. 
How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, we're talking about all of our sins, every one of them. No matter how bad they are, no matter what you've done, whatever sin you've created has been nailed to the cross, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the forgiveness is total. It's total. When we repent, when we call upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are washed clean by his blood and totally redeemed, totally forgiven. See, this is what Job was holding on to in chapter 19. He wasn't as familiar with all the promises as we are. He didn't have the full counsel of Scripture. But he knew that he had a Redeemer. And he knew that one day he would stand before him. What he didn't know was that Job was already under the provision and protection of his Father in heaven. He felt removed from it. He was already favored. He was already saved, already preserved. And brothers and sisters, if you came in here today and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you have the same promise. You live under the same umbrella of protection and provision. Life may look like it's falling apart from time to time. You may look around you and your friends don't get it and your spouse doesn't get it, but God does. We have the same promise. Anybody like that? I do. Let me, let me share with you some of the implications of that promise. Because th- this may be a little bit of a challenge for some of us. Redemption comes from God. We, we don't redeem ourselves. God can redeem anything. Any sin. There is no sin that is more powerful than the blood of Christ. Let me, let me just share what Scripture says about this. Titus chapter 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is all types of people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Redeemed from all lawlessness. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Not only does he forgive all of our sins, but he's lavish in his forgiveness. Isaiah, Isaiah knew this long before Christ came. 
Chapter 44, verse 21. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Our transgressions are like vapor floating away. And back again in 1 John verse, chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, these are God's promises. He gives us eternal life. No one can take it away. And if we have eternal life, all our sins are forgiven. If we have eternal life, we are redeemed. So I told you this might be a little bit of a challenge. Because as soon as we get to the point where we say, well, if we receive Jesus Christ, we're redeemed. All our sins are forgiven. I start wondering, who's eligible? I mean, who, who can take advantage of this? Everyone. 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 Oh, oh, wait a minute, John. You can't mean everyone. I mean everyone. Everyone has this available to them. See, this is why the gospel is so important. Nobody is beyond God's redemption. This is why the gospel has to be the singular united message of the church because it can transform, it can regenerate, it can be the answer to all of the problems we have. If everybody hears the gospel, if, if we're faithful to, to portray the message of God, then more and more people will be united to his son and be of like mind. And problems like we're struggling with today with, with the, this abortion issue begin to fade. Because everyone is eligible for redemption. Okay, And let me tell you how far this goes. Everybody in every political party can be redeemed. Now I know that's going to rub a few people the wrong way. Okay, But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you're in one party or other party, if you recognize Jesus Christ as Savior, you are redeemed. If you have confessed your sin, you are redeemed. Everybody in every ethnic group can be redeemed. Everybody in every religion can be redeemed. I can't tell you how many times I've got people telling me, God doesn't move in the Mormon church. I don't know about the Mormon church, but I know that God can move in the hearts of Mormons. I, some of these are a mystery to me, okay? But God can redeem any religious group, any religious person. God can redeem the people that we disagree with. God can redeem the people that get under our skin and annoy us. God can redeem the people who are against us, who oppose us, who oppress us. God can redeem the people who hurt us. Oh, I don't know if I want God to redeem the people who hurt us. 
It just shows how little I understand grace. You know what? We might have been able to come up with that list all on our own. But here's the good news for you today. God can redeem you. God can redeem me. When we talk about God redeeming everyone, he can redeem us. And with that redemption comes forgiveness for all of our sins. Every one of them. Now listen to me carefully. Over 63 million babies have lost their lives since Roe versus Wade was passed. Do you believe for one moment that you don't know somebody that's had an abortion? The statistics tell me that 35 to 40 percent of us here in this room have had direct experience with an abortion in one fashion or another. Either somebody close to us, maybe a spouse, maybe it was one of us. We're not allowed to talk about this. It's not the holy Christian thing to do. We're not allowed to share the pain of a decision that was made in another time under different circumstances that we look back on. You know, we, we, we were told all the lies. It's not a baby. We were told all the deception. Oh, you know, you weren't really pregnant. You were just in your cycle. We were told it doesn't hurt. We're never told about the burden that we carry afterwards. And because it's such a crushing burden, and it has such a profound impact on us personally. We don't share it. And secretly, deep down inside, we know we've been lied to. We know we've been deceived. And we grieve. We grieve over the lost life. And we, we can't come to our church family and say, I'm hurting. So the number of people that carry this burden indefinitely, thinking somehow that what they've done is so wrong that it's beyond God's redemption. And it's not. Jesus' blood covers every sin. We are redeemed for every offense to God we have ever committed. So today, if you're going through this, if you know somebody's going through it, this can be your hour of freedom. God doesn't want us to carry guilt around. He doesn't want us to suffer with this. He wants us to be free. He wants our hearts to reach out to him and 
enjoy, not, not because of what's happened, but because we're redeemed, because we're restored, because we're reinvigorated in our relationship with Him. And all we have to do to access that redemption because the Holy Spirit is already in us is repent. It's the tool that God has given us to restore our relationship with Him. I don't know I don't know why God allows abortion to occur. Job didn't know why the things were happening to him that happened to him. What I do know is that those babies are in the presence of the Lord. And for whatever reason, God has effected a grace upon them that you and I will never experience. They don't have to go through the suffering of being here in this world. And you don't have to carry the weight of that decision because Jesus died for your sins as well as mine. My dad, you know, I talked to him on February the 6th. I went home to my mom's house. Fitful night. Quarter to five, my cell phone rang. It was the hospital. So your dad's passed away. We need you to come in. I drove to the hospital. That was a longer drive in than the, the drive home. Just grieving over my dad. I'm standing at the nurse's station. I'm signing some papers. and She said, do you want to see your dad? I said, yeah. I walked into the room and looked at him. And the nurse came up behind me and said, the doctor wants to talk to you. I said, of course. The doctor came in the room and he said, John, I was with your dad just before he died. He was still awake. And he told me to tell you that he took care of that business that you had been talking about. You see, there's nothing beyond God's capability to redeem. There's no sin that's not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is go to him. Go to him and experience the freedom that he wants us to have. There's no sin greater than God's redemptive healing power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the magnitude of your grace, Father, for the extensiveness of your forgiveness, Father. We thank you that your blood, the blood of your Son, covers all of our sins. We pray, Father, by the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to walk in that, Father, that we would not carry an unnecessary burden, Father, that we would not carry a a secret sin, Father, that we would confess it to you and come before you and allow you to lift that burden from our shoulders. Lord, that we might walk in a manner worthy of our calling. In Jesus' name we pray.